On this episode of Sega Talk, we discuss the legendary Dreamcast and Xbox game Shenmue 2. We talk deleted cut content, rumors of a PlayStation 2 port, and even mispronounce a bunch of Chinese names. All this and more on Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to Sega Talk. I'm your host, George Hazuki, and with me is Lad Barry. I love it. Beautiful. Okay, so, um, today, <laughs> we're going to take another deep dive into the world of Shinmu. Um, this time, Shinmu 2, which if you met one of our first episodes, episode number 16 was actually the first game. And uh, mm-hmm. we did that one all the way back in April 19th, 2019. I thought it was like way... Amazing. I thought it was going to be like nah, 2016 we did it or something. So it's weird because it's like that pandemic, you know, it was like before the pandemic. So it feels like it's a lifetime ago. Oh, well before. Yeah. Yeah. It That was, I think, our first show that did the side-by-side video with the graphic below because the um, the file I have whenever I make these templates has Shenmue as the base layer, like burned into it. So that's, uh, that's pretty pretty wild that we are now here to talking... Two. Tui, Shenmue Tui from Yu yeah. Suzuki. Yeah, and uh, this is the part where we plug our Patreon, Barry? Plug it in. Uh, yeah, if you like what we do, you can support us on Patreon. We have several tiers. There are tiers that let you pick what we talk about, and this is a Patreon pick. In fact, every episode for the next, I think, three, two, three months are going to be Patreon picks. Uh, very exciting stuff. Lots of interesting things are coming up. Uh, the next episode will be Shenmue 3. This episode is Shenmue 2. Um, and I also want to mention, George, I didn't I didn't run this past you, but we do have a sponsor for this episode. Um, I just want to plug them. Um, George, do you ever need, like, cat food or batteries or, like, cassette tapes? Always. Always. But do you like convenience stores that I don't sell food that you can actually eat? Yes. Well, I, it's so inconvenient to have food. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you, tomato convenience stores are the place to go if you need cat food, batteries. Um, you you can look at other things, but you cannot buy it. So like toilet paper, food, you can look at it. It's there, but not for sale. Really cool place. So um, check them out. Uh, I think they existed in the 80s in Japan. I don't think they're around anymore. But <laughs> they, they paid us a hefty sum to promote themselves on this uh, this episode. Gonna edit the t- tomato theme song right here while you're saying this. Um, yeah, like you said, it was brought. This Daniel Andres did this, so let's play his uh, parts of his memories. I'm gonna be honest; he gave us like a 30 minute audio clip. I tried to condense it as much as possible. This is only a couple of minutes, um, but like I'm in this. I I decided to so it's fair, you know, since he did put a lot of t- thought and effort. I'm going to splice it in so when we talk more about the characters so he won't spoil some of the talk, I'll splice them in when we talk about the characters. And there's a nice – 
he did a nice little selling point, and I'm going to put that in the end of the podcast, you know, instead of the memories this time, well, he'll tell you why you guys should be playing this game, and he really, really, really loves this game. It's it's uh, pretty interesting, because, like, I love this game, but, like, there's some really, really hardcore people out there, so Daniel's one of them for sure. The biggest game has ever come out of an in-house development from Sega while they're still making console. The biggest game ever on the Dreamcast, and probably the biggest game Yu Suzuki has ever made next to Shenmue 3. I love, love, love this game. This, for a oh. long time, was my favorite video game of all time. It still is, technically. Now it's Shenmue 3, kind of, but I love all three games just the same. Wow, it's all three? It's story, it's one video game, that's the way it was always meant to be. Shenmue 2 itself is very special for many different- Wait, 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 before we get into more of it. He loves all three of them. It's like having a kid, right? Sometimes, like, when you like these <laughs> franchises, it's like, even the one that's a little, you know, not the greatest, you still love them, right? Yeah. All right, let's listen that's to amazing. the rest. <laughs> it's such a huge game in scope compared to the first one. That's true. Rio, right from the beginning, is a fish out of water in a new land. And it's just such a unique concept. I fell in love with this game the moment I saw that opening with him on the boat. And the music, and this was right after I beat Shenmue 1. I got this game for an Xbox. Rewind the clock back to December of 2013. One of my closest cousins, uh, Jake, uh, was there at my parents' house during Christmas of this year. I must have been like 19 or 18, I think. And he gave me his original Xbox, just I, out of the blue. I wish someone and one would of the first games I also picked Xbox. up for was Shenmue 2. And so I got into it, and I, wow, it was amazing. I fell in love with Ren right away, and uh, Master Li Xiaotao, or Xu Wing, she's such an amazing character. I feel like she does not get talked about enough, but she's such a great character. She's like the Yoda of Shenmue, and no one ever talks about her. It's very, uh, you know, uh, kind of disgraceful, but whatever. I also really, really love Wong. Joy is great. She's a really good character. Um, oh, and what was his name? The dude with the uh, with the old dude with the <laughs> with the ugly face, kind of. He's like everyone in that game. What was his name? He was ugly. like the informant. He was a good. He was a good character too. I ah man, see the my problems with Shenmue two is I forget I forget the character's name sometimes. I think Yanda Zhu. That was his name, Yanda Zhu. Shenmue two was about you trying to find Yanda Zhu, the man who had answers possibly about what happened between Ryo's father and Lan Di, Iwao and Lan Di, and we still don't know if he killed Lan Di's father or not. And I'm kind of hoping that it turns out that he did, but it was like an accident, kind of. Like, that's what I think is going to happen with, with the game's story. One part that really, really bothered me was the Yellowhead building. It took me forever getting... I, I'll stop it right here because it, we're going to be talking about the Yellowhead building and the Ghost Hall, I think it's called, um, when you have to do the planks. Um, to um, Yeah, I, I would say one of the things that I agree with him is I'm... I already have trouble keeping up with Japanese names, and it, and like when I first played Yakuza, and they get really, really Japanesey, it really yeah. was really hard for me at the time. This game was almost impossible because I have less exposure to Chinese culture and how you say the names properly. So it's one of those weird things where you're like that character, and and I also noticed that like um, AM2 kind of made some of the games like Ren, you know, some of the names just keep them short. Joy, right? You know, to um, so. I could see people forgetting a lot of the names, especially more of the underground side characters. Um, so, Barry, let's open up the episode like we always do with our memories. Um, what's yes. your What's your history with Shimu Two? Uh, thoughts you, about you know the media surrounding it at the time, which was a lot of drama, mm-hmm. 
And your views, have they changed now than before? Yeah, well, Shenmue 2, I have a ton of memories of this game. Um, I mean, anyone who grew up owning a Dreamcast, 2001, no, I, yeah, 2001, right? Early 2001 was mm-hmm. very stressful um, because they made the announcement that Sega was uh, discontinuing it, but still supporting it, but making games for other companies. And so you were like, do I need to buy a PlayStation 2 and Xbox now? Like, I have only had this Dreamcast for a few years. Like, the Dreamcast at that point was almost like the Wii U, but the opposite. Like, it was, Nintendo was like, nah, we're done with it. We're, we're removing support, and everyone's like, thank God, this thing sucked. And with the Dreamcast, <laughs> Sega was like, we're done, we're removing support. And people were like, "What? I love this thing, what are you doing? No! <laughs> yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, it just, it, it absolutely sucked, because I was so stressed out about like what was going to happen to Sega. The messaging wasn't really great to the fans, so it would be kind of like, you're still getting your games, but they're also going to be on other consoles. And you're like, what? Like, be straight with me. Like, am I going to get these games that I've been reading about for months and years in magazines? And so it absolutely devastated me. I remember when I learned that Shenmue was going to be an Xbox exclusive, and or Shenmue 2, and... You would learn these things not through like you would now where Twitter's there and like a community manager completely lays everything out and you get it within minutes. This was like you had to ask someone at school who said he heard from someone that they saw on a message board or you would read it in a magazine like months later. Like there was not concrete messaging about what was coming out and what wasn't. And so when I learned that, you know, and I have it here, the Xbox... uh would be getting Shenmue 2 exclusively, I was like, like I said, I was just crushed. So I did everything in my power to learn how to import games. And so yeah. I actually imported Shenmue 2 um, for the Dreamcast from Europe. I found, I think, it, I, you know what it was? It was anything NCSX. Do you remember that website? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, they were a fantastic site. I think they were taken down when they were selling um, uh, mod chips for the PS2 or something. Mm, yeah, um, Sony was going after a lot of those kind of websites. Yeah, but yeah, and so I, they knew that pe- there was a huge market for this, so they got a ton of Shenmue 2 copies in. They sold out fairly quickly, but I got I got one. So I was playing this. I think within like a month of release in Europe, and this was well before the Xbox One came out, so I didn't really have any Sega buddies at the time that were really into Shenmue 2, but I just felt so empowered that I had played through this game so early before really any other American that I knew of. And yeah, I mean, right there, you can tell I have a ton of memories with this game, and it paid off. Like, Nowadays, I will import games, I will spend money on collector's editions, and I hardly touch the games. Like, we've we've talked about Bayonetta 2. I bought a console to play Bayonetta 2. I actually have not finished or even made a dent in Bayonetta 2. But, um, but this game, like, I played through it. Like, I played the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think the media surrounding the Xbox move was pretty, like, negative from fans. A lot of people were, like... Huge. Like, like it was so negative and skipping the english dub which is kind of weird because like when uh yakuza like just dropped the the dub and stuff a lot of people were mad i guess at first you know but like 
they kind of gave up on it quickly, and they would even say that like the Japanese one was superior, and it even lived on till six. Now they obviously have dub now the dubs, and they're better now than they right. only, they were before. But it's just weird. And you got the Japanese one. What do you think about going from the first game in English to the second one in Japanese for the Dreamcast version? That's a great question. Yeah, the first game absolutely had a lot of, like, uh, memeness to it before memes were even a thing. Yeah. Like, it... People making jokes about the sailors, making jokes about, "Uh, milk's good for a (laughs) schoolboy, you know, like, just the weird voice acting. And then when you played Shenmue 2, you're like, oh, this feels, like, super serious, and, like, the acting is good, and you get... it It just felt more mature. It stripped itself of a lot of the like I like the meme memeness of it mm. and it just it felt like a proper game like it really handled Yu Suzuki's original vision exceedingly well and so I was very kind of disappointed in this version not having the Japanese dub as an option and it's pretty amazing that it wasn't until mm. the 1 and 2 came out just recently that we finally 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 get to hear Shenmue 1 and 2 you know the, the way it was supposed to be so um yeah and that's no knock on the actors I mean we've had uh one of them on before I actually I think Lisa Wilkerson yep. is one of the best voice actors and we'll talk um, about her her role because it's it's actually for sure we were actually uh, cited in one of the article I mean wikis that I did research on so I was like yeah, <laughs> yeah. that hey I did that I remember that um, why am I yeah. looking at it on the Wikipedia if I remember that um, <laughs> <laughs> um, as for me like the uh, I thought it was weird because um, I was kind of unsure about the first game it was weird I loved it but so many of my friends that were like hyped for it were expecting like a basically an action game i guess what yakuza became you know more of that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff and so they were kind of disappointed that it was a lot of it was the simulation aspect of the game you know what i mean like the first game was more simulation this was more of what i think people thought it was going to be and uh it's kind of sad that i some people i know never gave the second game a chance because they thought the first one was a little like boring for their point of view you know i could see why people wouldn't like the first one you know there's a lot of setups that, like, don't pay off until you go to Hong Kong. I feel like a pivotal point of the game is going to Hong Kong and finally being there, being this kid from a small town in Japan going to the big city and not having that in one package, you know, I think... Uh, we'll talk about it later, but... As far for the mm-hmm. Xbox release, I remember people being upset. There were, I remember Peter Moore becoming president and everyone making rumors that he was going to probably save uh, the, the, the franchise and then when there never was a three... On Xbox, all the fans said he's the one that killed it. So it's funny that they—it's like uh, you can't do it. You have—they just wanted—they just wanted more. I, if Xbox just gave them all of it, they probably would have been fine with it. I think a lot of people now, but in right. It, and it was such—it was such a disjointed series because of that too. Because for the longest time, Shenmue One was a Dreamcast exclusive, and at least in America, Shenmue Two was an Xbox exclusive. And then when you wanted to play Shenmue 3, it was a PS4 exclusive. Mm. So it's like three consoles to play three games. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that, that that's pretty ridiculous. Um, so 
Shenmue 2 is a Dreamcast slash Xbox game that was uh, released in 2001 for the Dreamcast and then a year later, 2002, on the Xbox. In this episode, we'll be talking about the improvements made on the Xbox version, but we'll mostly be talking, obviously, about the Dreamcast. I mean, they're the same base game. Like, once you talk about one, you're talking about the other one. Um, So, it's kind of hard to talk about the development, which we usually talk in this section, because... Uh, Development-wise, the uh, Shimu Two is basically Shimu One. Like the the history of it, uh, Shimu One and Shimu Two come together. Uh, when you actually start looking at a lot of the history, you start noticing that like it's always about number uh, Shimu One because Shimu Two was basically like made simultaneously. Um, Shimmy, uh, the first one came out in 19, uh, December 29, 1999, barely making 1999 release window. Uh, two came out in September 6, 2001 in Japan. So almost two li- years mm. later, while it doesn't seem very... Sh- it, it's actually pretty short considering that the first projects... The project started all the way in 1993, as early. Um, so... Uh, um, when Shimu One was first shown, uh, actually they actually used a lot of Hong Kong footage in the actual release, and it and it was. I mean, is this where? Okay, so basically, they when they released the description for the first Shimu project, just called Shimu, it wasn't going to be called anything else. They kind of gave them the Hong Kong plot, which is the Shimu Two plot. And uh, mm-hmm. apparently back then they actually expanded the first chapter, which apparently it was only supposed to be set. It was supposed to be a short introduction in this uh, town, and it was supposed to set be set thirty years in the past. That's what I read. And then they uh, mm. they made. I'm assuming they made the town and spent so much money that they're like, this has to be its own game, basically. And they ex- <laughs> and then that's when they started expanding it. Um, I have a couple of pictures here we could look at. Um, the first one is. Um, a April 1999 issue of Next Generation magazine. As you can see right here in this page, they're literally showing you some of the scenes from um, the tower, one of the towers from Hong Kong, um, when you fight to go up. Um, wow. And uh, they obviously right here compare it to uh, Die Hard Arcade, which, I mean, it makes sense. Um, did you did you know that like some of these scenes were... I mean, I think we all knew when we saw the Sega Saturn footage that it was planned pretty early on, the whole story. But are, did, are, did you know that they purposely kind of like cut content out because they wanted to expand it and make it two games after a while? Like that it, I, I did notice things being promoted that were definitely not in, in the game. But I, I remember them saying like, oh, this is going to be a series of games. So maybe... Maybe they were very quick to like go back on the on the press, you know, junkets and be like, ah, yeah, the stuff you saw before. It's there's more games coming. Um, I mean, episodic games were kind of new at the time, if I remember. I think um, it was like I don't think there was that many uh, to be honest. Like I don't even it was almost non-existent to mainstream audience at least for sure. Yes, yeah, I know because I know Floygan Brothers was like. Considered like you're going to be getting uh, these cheap Floygan Brothers games, and they're episodic. Episode one's coming out now, uh, and then episode two will be out in six months, and you'll get like you'll get them a couple every year. Um, but with Shenmue, I remember them also kind of pushing it at a certain point where they were like, "Well, you get one which has chapters, blah blah blah, two which has this." 
So, mm. um. I, I do. Uh, I do have another screenshot of like I, I posted this on our Twitter. Um, it's cut content uh, or at least pictures. Uh, one of them, some of these are for TGS, like the alpha build. As you can tell, there's one right here on the bottom right hand corner. It's Ryu going into TGS building with a bunch of Dreamcast uh, playable Dreamcasts, like the little booth. <laughs> And uh, mm-hmm. there's a few other ones right here that they never made. And I'm like, I, I really wish they would reuse some of this. Like, like they gave us the ability to go to the TGS booth when the game came out. They already built it for TGS, literally. And they never released it as wow. extra content. It's always like Sega spent so much money on this game. And, like, they have so much content that they never actually released. Like, I would love that this was in... The one and two collection that would have been really really cool. Just that walking around, awesome. just to walk around the beta stuff. You know, there's also the motorcycle yeah. they never put in. Um, but yeah, right. Um, right here is um, so the plan after this when they decided to do chapter one for Japan was, and then the sequel was that in America we were supposed to get a bundle with one and two, and it was just going to be called Shimu. But since the first game got expanded so much. Sega decided that they're going to sell it as a separate release. And uh, so stories, movies, books, they all have rhythms when it comes to plot points. Uh, and uh, making the person consuming the content feel satisfied, you have to hit the right note at the right time. It's like a cliffhanger in an episode. It makes it addicting because that cliffhanger was so good that you want to watch the other one. Uh, do you right. think it was a mistake for uh, AM2 to like, shatter their vision and like release number one and then all of a sudden release two with with it because it kind of feels like the ending of two should have been the ending for the first game like that's the biggest hook right yeah um i mean at the time it was it made sense to split them up i think if anything it was a mistake to think that you could go two games and still have a hanging like a cliffhanger like yeah I know I know there's so many people who like think this is a terrible idea to restrict Yu Suzuki's vision, but like dude was given a chance. He should have wrapped things up with two. The mere fact that it took nearly twenty years for Shenmue three to come out and then he still hasn't resolved it is I hate it. <laughs> like I'm I'm sorry, but to me it's kind of like I don't want to say like a slap in the face to fans because, you know, that's a little dramatic. But like the mere fact that the, you know, spoiler alert, like the end of Shenmue 3 isn't even all that climactic or special. It just feels like a retread of Shenmue 2. Like when is this franchise going to not only like really start paying off but conclude? Like I Mm. now, I remember within weeks of Shenmue 3 coming out, people were going, we want Shenmue 4, and I'm like, all right, go bug you Suzuki now. Stop bothering Sega, because you clearly know how it's going to get made. You know, like... Yeah, yeah. Um, it pisses me off as a fan. Like, I, I'm tired of waiting. Like, I stopped caring about the story. I'm sorry. Like, I sound really grumpy now, but, like, uh-oh. it's true. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans are, like, split on the whole, like, three. And we're going to have a whole episode of three, so I don't really want to go mm-hmm. into my thoughts on it yet, but... Let's talk a little bit more about the work that went into it. So we uh, to get Shimu off the ground, Sega was ha- had a carousel of over 300 developers. Um, in Shimu 2, it seemed that they shrunk, but it was still around 200 people. I uh, I did some research and not that much, you know. But uh, apparently, 
this uh, God of War on the PS4 had the same amount of workers as uh, Shimu 2 did back then. Now, and people consider that a very wow. tiny game. Like, I think there's over two hundred thousand workers for uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, and they said that that's because you know gaming's changed so much now that you outsource a lot of stuff. So they count those outsourcers as developers now. So. 2000 oh. is is pretty inflated especially when you're paying like different wages than they were in this era but uh final fantasy 10 on the ps2 had 100 people working on it i mean if you want to see some you know uh comparisons i did also see that uh, metal gear solid 2 only was only cost 10 million dollars which i feel like is really really low for the quality of that game that they made back then mm-hmm. um I, I like the only reason that he talked about it because they were bragging because it was the uh, the budget of a Godzilla film. They were really proud of that. <laughs> so outside of that, sadly, most of the development uh, doesn't really talk much about the games or stories about their issues. I do know that th- I do know that that uh, Yuzuzuki does talk a lot about the cut content and like fights that he wanted to do. Apparently, he had a lot more action scenes he wanted to do. And this game actually does not have as much... We'll talk about it later, but there's not that many action scenes. A lot of the action takes place in QTEs in this game. Considering, compared to the first one, I think, like, Shimmy 1 was more, like, balanced. You know? It had fighting, Mm -hmm. QTEs, and then it had more exploring. And they all kind of take equal uh, footing. Even the story kind of takes, like... They break off the story to let you explore after a while. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So let's talk about, I think, for a lot of people, the most memorable part of the game, the stories and characters. Um, basically, the first game takes place during Chapter 1, uh, but this game starts off right away on Chapter 3. It's, is this some Star Wars thing or what's going on? Um, actually, <laughs> Chapter 2 was cut. So when you get in the boat, the boat ride 2... Uh, Hong Kong is actually a chapter that was cut. Apparently, use it. Oh, I'll, I'll, I have a quote right here, but let's look at the comic book that I have right here, the manga that they made. Right, that was on the Xbox disc. It was, and they. Uh, I, yeah. Is it the same exact one, or did they? Uh, is this one a different? Um, no, this oh, is the it. same one. Okay, I'm just gonna scroll down it, but basically, Ryu looks at Chow or Chai, whatever his name is, the Golem. From Final uh, Fantasy, uh, from uh, Lord of the Rings, he kidnaps a right, girl. Right. They, uh, the thing didn't. Even, okay, he runs. Apparently, they designed this whole boat, and they even did the layout, and they did the 3D graphics to where he escapes. And they so, and the and the fight was supposed to be really really cheesy, apparently, but uh, and over the top. But they never actually did it. You know what? I'm I'm not really that concerned about this being cut. Like I said, it's just. Is this really a chapter of you fighting the same guy you just fought in one? You know what I mean? Right, right. And uh, yeah, that's what. What's your opinion about this cut content? Is it like a, I don't think it's a big deal. There's a lot of people that really, really want Yuzuki to remake it on the two engine. Right. I, um, I'm not too bothered about it being cut. I mean, this character Chai does return in Shenmue Three, so it's not like we need to have him keep coming back i mean Mm. it's this is kind of already covered once he returns um but yeah it's it's nothing too exciting like it i mean it reminds me of dynamite deca a little bit actually (laughs) like on the boat 
yeah. rescuing a girl running around. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, more content's always welcome, but this is definitely not like essential. And I'm kind of surprised that it's marked off as a chapter because it just seems so small insignificant yeah <laughs> yeah um i agree with you 100 percent, especially how long the chapter we just played uh the beginning was that like oh this boat scene it's like are you gonna make like a scenario where there's like some story or something and my thing that my issue with with yuzuki sometimes is is like that was my plan so i'm still gonna write a scene where people talk about the boat and like thank you for rescuing so when you play the second game you're like what is this guy talking about they saw you in the boat what like he he still adds the the like connections there, and I'm like, there is no connection. You deleted the chapter. You should rewrite this and like take all this dialogue out. But whatever. I don't know why he does it. So uh, yeah. in, in a quote, uh, Masakazi, the actor who played Ryu, who he said he actually played him for five years before the games even came wow. out. That's crazy. But yeah, says that the boat scenes were filmed. He said in a quote, they were filmed in a really over the top style. Laughs. Uh, several of the people involved in the story on the boat were to then appear again in a later scenario. And I think they still did anyway, but they would say something along the lines. Oh, it's you from that time on the boat, dot, 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 connecting the plot together. That was the plan for the scenario. I feel like, like just to tell you, hey, you're the guy from the boat. You don't need to like make a whole boat scene. Like it could have just been that you arrived and that's it. Like I think they did it perfectly. But, right. yeah. So let's talk about Chapter 3, the beginning of the game. The game finally has a start in Chapter 3 as Ryu, as he arrives to Hong Kong, in order to find, oh my god, I'm going to butcher this, Master Li Shao Tao, which uh, was informed, was, uh, was it, he gave, he basically, Master Chen gave us the information in the first game to find him. Uh, this is the only link uh, Ryu has, uh, uh, oh yeah, along with finding uh, y- uh, y- Yanda Zhu, who sent his letter, mm-hmm. uh, his father a letter that got there late, saying that he was going to get murdered. Uh, one thing each Shimu chapter did well was they gave us a brand new cast of characters, and to be honest with you, it made me miss the the characters you meet before. Like when I played this game right away, when I got into chapter three, I'm like, wait, no more Fukusan, no more nothing. Like all these <laughs> characters, Tom, everybody that we like uh, talk. Um, was it Majima or whatever Goro or whatever? But uh, right, right, right. Not Goro Majima, the other one. But um, Miyashi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we never got to see them again. Uh, in this one at least. So there was always this nostalgia and homesickness. That I think they did really well when you started this chapter. But they also did a good job introducing new characters. So let's talk about some of them. Um, Joy, and I also put mm-hmm. the the picture of the art right here, like the uh, sketches, because I really love the two D art in this game. Joy has an outspoken and confident personality, contrasting the most the more reserved and shy personalities of Nozomi and Ling. She lives in a risky life on the edge, but she is street smarts to make up for it. If one of her friends has been wrong, she she can get revenge, such as when fool like fools scam artists basically. She is mm-hmm. a fan of biking and seems to enjoy rock and roll music. She may also be a fan of video games, maybe. Um, as she can be found in Pine Game Arcade. I like how it's like a nerd guy fantasy. Oh, she's edgy, and she oh, might like video boy. games. Anyway, what do you think about Joy? Isn't her, th- well, isn't her theme song from F355 Challenge? 
the other Yusuzuki game. Mm, yeah, I'm pretty I, I, sure that song came from that, where it goes, "Yeah, you've never seen any woman the likes of her." Da, 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 da. <laughs> I feel like he uh, that game is a whole. I think this is uh, Yuzuzuki's waifu. I think so. It could probably, be. yeah, so, oh. yeah. No, I I like her. Um, she's a fun addition. I think she's one of the strongest like original characters in Shenmue uh, Two and. I, I think, if anything, when you compare Shenmue 1's secondary cast to Shenmue 2's, I think Shenmue 1 has the edge. It just has much more memorable, fun, funny characters. And I think Joy is really the only one who really kind of matches. Or, you know, I, I could see her fitting in well with that cast, and I actually like her more than some characters. Like Nozomi, I think, is a very bland character. She's so always like It's sad interesting too. to compare her to Nozomi. She's always yeah. always sad. She's like, "Oh my God, Ryu, you, you okay?" It's like, "Shut up." I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, I like her too. One thing that like I put, I kind of like put in my mind when I met her was like, it was interesting that when you played the first game, you get the bike to rescue Nozomi, but this girl just comes in in a bike right away, and it's like, I don't need to be saved, basically. You know, kind of like interesting, like, yeah, like. So I I kind of picked that up. Her whole thing's a motorcycle and rock and roll. Um, the next character, Wong, um, is a young kid at the time, thirteen, and the youngest member of Ren's gang, and is uh, the first character you meet. Uh, that you I guess it, he doesn't lead you to Ren technically, but he does lead you into a trap to take all your money. Uh, oh yeah, the guys that he hung out with are called Sam, Larry, and Cool Z. Very cool. I like Cool um, Z. They, uh, we know Wong's an orphan and says he doesn't know who his par- what his parents look like. That's kind of all we know about the character. He, uh, what do you think about this character, the poor thirteen-year-old kid that works for gangs? Basically, that's kind of sad. Yeah, he's like a character out of the you know, like the Oliver Oliver Twist sort oh, yeah. of thing, where he's like the he's like the um, artful dodger sort of character. He he's all right. He pissed me off when he took my bag. I didn't like that. Yeah, um, I I always think it's funny that like the art, like his two D art, looks like an anime character, like a Dragon Ball Z character. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, the next one is Zai Zai Ying Hong. Uh, she's the master martial arts master that surprises Ryu, who he thinks it's a male. I think we all thought that when we heard the name, we're like, "Oh, this guy's gonna be some old ass dude with a beard." And no, it's a female. She's young. I think Yuzuki was playing the idea that like, oh, all these Chinese movies, they always have the bearded old man, you know, Kill Bill status as the master that you're supposed to find. And it's kind of a cliche. So he made her 26 years old, considered the youngest master to ever do it. Uh, She's thoughtful and is always thinks before taking action, unlike Ryu, because like, dude, that dude is like, Oh, Landy's in China. I'm just gonna go in a boat real quick and just go fight him. I don't know anything. I'm 18 years old. Um, <laughs> one of her main points is important. Oh yeah, he says that she teaches Ryu not to act hastily. She's the Yoda for sure. She tells him that revenge isn't worth it, which I think is gonna change the course of his path. Um, she shares a similar story to uh, our our hero. As she was a child, her parents got murdered. Her brother would, would go on to join the Chai Yu Min, which Landy is one of the masters, believing that one of them uh, murdered them and promised her that she, uh, he would return 
given her and he gave her like half his yin gang stone uh he never came back her brother and she still doesn't know what happened i feel like that's going to be an integral part of the story where one of the you know men that masters that you meet that you have to take down is going to be her brother it is going to be a mm. pretty interesting scene so they're definitely building up to this like more epic chinese like um fights to do with morality um but what are your thoughts about her um yeah no i i i think she's fine she serves the story well not one of the most memorable characters but um probably one of the most important ones you meet early on she's not like someone you just bump into she's actually very important to the story um design wise looks cool um yeah yeah i'm 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 pretty neutral on her, but I like her overall. I, I think a lot of people have a sour taste because, like, her missions were kind of like they're like, this is a, about patience, and then they give you like, go get books and t- take them over there, and it's like, oh, people are like, I don't want to do this. I want to go fight. I don't want to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I can see why people, you know, have a sometimes this section have a negative, uh, I don't know, taste about it. But uh, I think the next character is pretty iconic for this game, Ren. Or Ren of the Heavens, uh, yeah, leader of the notorious gang, the Heavens. Um, Ren is a charming thief that loves money and cheat his and he tries to cheat his way to the top. He is known for having two coins he carries, uh, one of them with both heads and one of them with both tails. That's why he, in a way, to cheat us out of his, you know, out of a situation. Rio comes into contact with Ren because he is told he knows. Where, uh, about the man that wrote the letter to his father and offers him $500 for the location, or you have to work for it, basically, but or fight for mm-hmm. it. Rin would go on to accompany you on the adventure when he finds out there might be a lot of money tied into the Phoenix Mirror. Interestingly enough, in the beta version of the game, there was a hand-to-hand combat scene between Rin and Ryu that got cut out. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I would say about him, he's probably the most iconic character in, like... I think the, even the voice actor and him had like a big relationship. So this sh- should have been a, definitely a character that got introduced in the first game because he's. I think he's that charming. He's kind of like the Han Solo. It's like if Han Solo never got introduced until the second movie of Star Wars, that would have been a big bummer in my opinion. So mm. so it's kind of like that to me. I don't know. How do you feel about Rin? I like him. He's kind of like the shadow Mm-hmm. To Rio's Sonic. For sure. Um, to the point where, like, Ren has his own little fan base. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if there is one edge that Shenmue 2 has over one, it's that this guy is clearly so much better designed and just interesting than, and I'm even blanking on his name, the dude in the suit in the first game. Like, uh, what a forgettable character. The, uh, <laughs> Master know? Chin's son, that, or I don't even know what he was. He was his son, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, he definitely was a lot better. And does he come back in 3? I haven't I haven't finished 3. I'm, he does. Okay, good. Ren does, yeah. All right. Um, I, I'm going to play a little bit of Daniel. Daniel has something to say about this character. Meeting Ren for the first time. It was like... Seeing Luke Skywalker meet Han Solo for go. the first time in Shenmue. That's exactly what it's like. Ren is, Ren is, Ren is Han Solo in, in Shenmue. That's exactly who he is. He's about money, but he also has a bit, a bit of a heart of gold. And you can tell he does care about, <laughs> about these guys, but he's really just in it for the money. Like, that's his character. And I love him, love him, love him because of it. I love his dynamic with Riel. 
I love his personality. I love his voice. It's a shame they didn't get Eric Vale. Was that his name? Eric. I forgot his name, but the guy who voiced Red. It's a shame they did not get him back for Shenmue 3. I, I love the final boss with... Oh, uh, we'll play the other one about the final boss later, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so obvious what they're trying to do with the dynamic. The schoolboy, the thief with the heart of gold. It just works. It's really right. smart. After this, we actually go to... Quote, how do you say this place? Quolone? Quote, K. Like Kowloon. The, the city. Kowloon. Loon. Loon. The city in the mountains giving us a brand new area of Hong Kong in chapter four. Uh, this is when we're going to. Uh, we're searching for Yuwandu Zoo. Even uh, even a new gang. Oh, yeah. We have a new gang called the Yellowheads in this chapter, which I don't know. Is that. I don't know if that's like considered racist now, like you know, because you know mm. there's like a ter- the term for uh, Chinese people, so it's a Chinese gang named Yellowheads. This chapter uh, definitely has more of the action bit. Like I feel like the first one was setting up the city and the, the talking to people and trying to get to the next bit, and this one was more like the action. Finally, we got to the dangerous city of tall towers, basically, and the first person we. Uh, we want to talk to about is this dual new uh i the big fat <laughs> yellow heads gang leader uh he's considered a large man seven foot two inches supposedly towering over wow. everyone that's ridiculous he's supposed to weigh over 396 pounds uh he's your basic brute like character that lacks smarts with him even getting the nickname stupid dual new and uh, the Yellowheads and Ren's oh, Ren is supposed to be like his rival gang. I don't know. I don't know how that works out since they're like in different cities. Like, they feel like they're so far away. But um, basically, they're on the on a mission to also find Zoo, the guy that sent you the letters because Landy told them to capture him. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll I'll let Daniel talk a little bit about him, and then we'll talk about uh, him and his last fight. Don Yu mm-hmm. is that his name? Don Yu, I think. Not my favorite video game final boss of all time. No, but it's definitely up there. I thought the fight was was so damn epic. They had the two Earth and Sea song remixed while you're fighting him. That was a really awesome, awesome um, inclusion. And you know, having Rayo's friends cheering him out. I always love that. I know it's cheesy, but I love when a video game ends with like your friends by or like when a story ends with like, your friends by your side, either fighting with you or cheering you on. Like every Sonic game does that. Earthbound, one of my favorite games of all time, does that. And Shenmue 2 does that. I think it's awesome. I think it's great when a friend, your friends are like, yeah, kick his ass. And they're all there, or they're kicking the ass for you or with you while you're fighting the big bad guy. And then getting to meet Shen. Okay, we'll talk about the next character in a little bit. But yeah, the the, the final bo- battle with him is probably what, like, Silif- you know, makes him uh, uh, us even knowing the character, to be honest with you. Because I feel like he wasn't really even doing much in the story-wise. He was just like, I'm the boss. And then... We had other people do it, like Juan, uh, his site is, uh, I guess we'll talk about it in a little bit, but, you know, her boyfriend, I don't know, girlfriend, I don't know how that works. We'll talk about it, because there's a lot of mixed let's uh, talk about opinions. It. Yeah, let's talk about that, because that's probably more interesting. This character, Juan, is a controversial figure when it came to localization. Juan is the right-hand person of uh, Dual Newell. Uh in the Japanese version of the game, Juan is considered, according to Wikis, stereotypically effeminate gay man. 
who has a relationship mm-hmm. with uh, with him, the boss, but is also listed as trans. Outside of Japan, Juan is was localized to be a woman and given a woman's voice and pronouns, which would in line with the character being trans. While the English right. version hinted at Juan was in a relationship with Dao, the Japanese version states it as a matter of fact. Like, it's specifically mm-hmm. they're in a relationship. Um, also, notice during the research, a lot, of, a lot of, oh yeah, that they basically uh, cited our 2015 uh, Wilkerson interview uh, right. with the voice actors, yeah. where she kind of talked about it more. You guys are interested in this topic, definitely check out that light, uh, that uh, audio, because I think it's the first time she's ever come out and talked about this kind of thing, mm-hmm. and what Sega told her, and how to... Basically, Sega hired her to make the voice as ambiguous as possible to not anger Western fans. Um, yeah. Wands is considered the first trans character. Shimmy 3 also features another trans character, but we'll cover that in the next episode. This one, we're going to talk about Wand. And... Uh, we lived during the 2000s. I mean, I sent you those articles where those people went to E3 and it's like the most grossest crap these people, these journalists would say, you know? Right. So right. we're talking about that era, not today's era. So uh, do you think that <laughs> she, this would have caused a lot of uproar, war, uh, up, like bad press for Sega to do this? I, well, first off, I don't think it was tastefully done then. It it does not. I mean, you look at this art; it does not come across as progressive or tastefully done. I think it's done more like a "Ooh, aren't they wacky? Isn't this funny that the big, you know, the big, dumb, strong guy is actually in a gay relationship with this um, super effeminate, uh, uh, actually trans character? But they're both guys, haha. <laughs> you know, like I. I Definitely don't think Yu Suzuki and team were being all that progressive with this. It it, com- it really comes off as like a kind of a mean spirited stereotype. I mean, I'm not canceling the game at all, but you know what I mean. Like, I know you, you see mean. this a lot too in like Jackie Chan movies when there is a gay character. They're always like, "Oh, Jackie, aren't you cute?" You know, like it's oh, always yeah. like that. You know, they have to um, be even even like even black characters in in Jackie Chan movies will be like oh overly like like what what i guess like the chinese would assume to be black um but yeah it's just when when we had liesel on i honestly thought it was like the most interesting thing to talk about when it came to her time on the game and so i really wanted to dig deep and just like not cut any corners or or really uh I guess beat around the bush. Like I wanted to get into it and talk about what her thoughts were, what Sega's were. And so uh, for me, that's always the fun part of doing interviews with people is finding like a kernel of something to talk about that no one really else has. And I'm never afraid to talk about those things. So I'm, I'm very happy that she was very open to talk about it. But I I do think it's interesting that like it it was a trans character, even Mm -hmm. in the, um, in the English release, but Sega were still like hiring a, a woman to do the voice, um, and rather than maybe a man or even I think now progressively they'd be like, oh, we're going to hire a trans Person. voice actor, yeah. right? I think, uh, um, which I, you know, go on. yeah, I was going to say, um, no, I was uh, going to say you, you can have your opinions on. It. I'm I'm of the mindset that. 
hire the person that can do the best voice for the character. You don't need to like match. Um, you know, like it, it's all it's it's acting. You know, yeah. so you don't need to find a black character to voice a black character, an Asian character. You know, but I get it. I understand it, but that's uh, my personal opinion. I do agree with you. Coming off a little silly, but I, I think. Just having exposure to like a trans character and that and the idea mm. of a trans character back then is just in even in a silly way like it still lets people I don't know con- I I understand now it's like we're so progressive that it's like that's that's an insult but it's like I don't even think I pe- people even talked about uh, trans people like in mainstream media at all like so the idea of a big budget video game actually uh, dedicating a whole character that's actually right. pretty big and it's throughout a whole chapter even if it's a villain and maybe you know people would see that negatively um right i think it's pretty progressive at the time because we didn't even have legalized gay marriage in america so like the idea that mm-hmm. that a japanese studio was doing something like this I, and i and i agree with you that in today's standards definitely comes off as like bad um and i mm-hmm. and i'm not going to like hell like you know defend them or anything about that uh, but i will say that it's a lot more than a lot of Western games were doing at the time. Like, I don't think I could think. For sure. I can think of one game that has a West uh, a trans character in in, Amer- in America, like from the early two thousands. So I will say they try to be progressive in their own ignorant way. I think that's the best way to describe it. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next character, which is weird because uh, he's so important because he comes from the the letter from the first one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yuanda Zhu. He eventually you find him. Uh, the guy that sent your father that deadly premonition in the form of a letter. Ironically, he is hiding in the Ghost Hall building, trying to escape the Yellowhead gang that's after him. This section of the game is actually the most um, divisive um, because you have to walk up the planks uh, to get to the room where Zhu is hiding. Like typical video game fashion, uh, he is kidnapped when you meet him. Forcing Ryu to go up to the rooftop of the Yellowhead building where Zhu is being forced to enter into a helicopter with Land D. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is where we get the whole fight scene, right? With uh, the last boss. After that, we find out a few new things. But before we get that, um, what do you think about finally seeing Land D face to face? Because like this is my most epic part of the game. Like He's literally Huge feet deal. away. Yeah, Yeah, it's like... Yeah. They they kind of like uh, like build him up to be like this like the demon or something you know what I mean like this like powerful like eccentric character and he's like right there in the helicopter after because it feels like you spent two years waiting for this game you know right and I mean if you draw the Star Wars like similarities in the first Star Wars film Luke and Darth Vader don't really share a scene together they don't go face to face I think. Vader's fighting Obi-Wan and Luke's way in the back and he shouts no and runs on to the the Falcon and and just like in this case like I I mean he did face him in Shenmue 1 but it was an opening cut scene uh it was pretty brief and after that you don't see him again so mm-hmm. you basically go two full games before you actually confront the main villain uh from a gameplay perspective instead of a, a story perspective and that was huge, you know. Yeah. That I I think the roof. I honestly think the the ending of this game, from the handcuff part with Ren all the way up until the ending, is some of the most um, like epic storytelling and gameplay you're ever going to see 
on the Dreamcast. And I and if I can backtrack, when I was talking earlier about how like pissed off I was that he didn't just like end Shenmue, um, and that I'm getting less and less invested in the story, um, I, I think it's because I felt it was downhill from there. Like it just was so epic that I have not seen it. I, I have not seen Shenmue three like meet that or exceed that. I'd love for it to, um, but it's just I, I think they did such a great job that they almost like put themselves and painted themselves into a corner. Yeah, in like like how do you outdo that? Imagine if in America we actually got like an eight disc one game thing where it's one and two, just Shenmue, you know, like the volume one or whatever, and we actually right, well, we kind of did. I, well, I mean. Like, yeah, I mean that. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that that re-release. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong, but like, if we actually like on Dreamcast, like in two thousand one, let's say they they delayed it to two thousand one. Too bad it was already too late. But I think a lot of people right. would have a lot more positive opinions of the game. Like, I don't think people would have the it's boring. All you do is look at your house uh, stereotype about it. I think people would be like, "Wow, there's some big action scenes in this game. It's like an RPG, like Final Fantasy VII. It's like." Doesn't all final, uh, you know, those RPG games they take a while to us uh, get really good. So, I think people would have been way more positive, and there wouldn't be the Twitter like, oh, well, Destiny makes a million dollars a second. I don't care how much money it makes. Leave me, leave me alone on Twitter, anyway. So, right. let's talk about some of the stuff we found out uh, because of this character. Landy's real name we found out is Long Sun Zhao. Landy killed Ryu's mm-hmm. father, uh, and this is kind of this part has been kind of like hinted in the first game for vengeance because he killed his own father, Sun Ming Zhao. After Ryu uh, uh, is reluctant about the news, uh, Zhu says that he thinks that maybe it's not true that there was an accident or maybe something else happened to his father that he doesn't think his dad killed him or whatever. Um, we also get a hint at what the mirrors do. According to legend, it's supposed to lead to the resurrection of the ancient order known as the Qing Dynasty. Uh, Ryu is tasked to go to Beilu Village for our last act. So, mm. right away, this game already has way more traveling. So, we're already going to go to the like third location, Hong Kong. Uh, what is it? Kowloon. The, Kowloon. The, and mm-hmm. uh, now uh, Beilu Village. So it's interesting compared to the first game where you, I guess technically you don't stay always in the little town because you go to the harbor uh, later, but this one has a lot more traveling and I think the, the traveling's a lot of, a lot, in, it's really interesting. I did like the, the mm-hmm. harbor though. I thought that it was cool that they had the cafeteria and the, you know, racing, but let's talk about <laughs> the last character. I think this is probably the most important character and the fact that we don't even meet her in the first game is crazy until like the end of two. Uh, Shin Hua how do you say her name? Shenhua. Shenhua. I can never say Chinese names. I've got a, here. Keep talking. I've got a little statue of her. I'll bring her over. Bring it over. Um, she as a character, she comes off as innocent, especially with her outlook on common city life. But her eternal strength and courage was created by living in the wilderness in China. She's she's uh, she's well versed in nature. And knows her way around herbs. She also loves animals and tries to save a de- drowning deer. Um, let me see. We uh, we find out that Xinhua's was born to wealthy parents who lived in a big temple-like house. We also found out that Xin Mu 
is actually the name of the game is actually named after a tree and Shinwa is named after the flower it produces as the fate of her parents it is said they died in an event but it's unclear in the game if that's true so do you remember when you met her and and she explained to you the name of the tree that Shinmu is literally named after a tree yeah 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 I well, thought that was awesome really, <laughs> I like the like reveal I, I thought it was like, what does this tree have to do with the story, and what, how important? And I, I think it's like during. I, I don't know if, if it actually has any story. You know, in the end, it's going to have any. But I, I feel like it's tied to that the old man and the pe- peach tree that we talked about in the first episode, the demo that became right. this this franchise, and maybe like in homage to that, like, oh yeah, we named the game after the tree, um, and Shinwa is the flower. Or do you think there's an actual like? symbolic relationship with the story and the ending and Landy with the actual tree and the name? Um, I, I think it's yet to be revealed. I think um, they're slowly building to it. So if they do want to have like another epic moment, maybe the reveal of, of what Shenmue has to do with this, this whole story. It, it's interesting, though, because... I never really think of what the mo- meaning behind Shenmue is. It just It's such a great name. That when I played the first game, I never really was like, what is Shenmue? I'm like, well, I'm playing it. This is Shenmue. <laughs> you know? That's uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I have my Shenhua statue here. It's a little vinyl statue. They sold these in. It says 1998. Oh, um, man. In Japan. They, they probably look like trash. This is... Let me see. Let me see the got, face. This, this is... You want to see your face? This is from the era when you could buy things on eBay back in the uh, mid-2000s, and they weren't costing you an arm and a leg. I think I got this for like 10 bucks. You know, it's <laughs> it's pretty fun, though, a little statue. I bought a cup of um, coffee on there, $200 ship. Yeah. It was collector's coffee, though. <sighs> you got to understand. It was sealed. Oh. <laughs> Did you see all the all the Madden prices and stuff? They're going up. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Man. And people it's insane. on eBay are crazy. Um, so in the game, after you get to Shinwa's house, uh, wait, uh, we, I, okay, I didn't talk about her adopted family. She then got adopted by Yun Shin Wan when her father died, living in the edge of Bailu mm-hmm. Village, having never left basically that city her whole life. Her adopted or town, basically. It's not even a town. It's like a middle of nowhere, dude. It's like the forest. She's literally never left it. Her adopted fa- family has been stonemasons for generations and are the family who created both the Phoenix and Dragon Mirrors. So she has a her adopted family, I think it's a real family maybe or something, but they have a big tie to the Phoenix and Dragon Mirrors. In the game, after you get to Shinwa's house, the next morning you go to look for her adopted father in the stone pit where he is working but is missing. He leaves behind mm. a sword, the Sword of the Seven Stars, and he notes, Dear Shinwa, my work is done. The Phoenix is entrusted to our people is now complete. The time of destiny has come. Shinwa, go with the one who holds the Phoenix. And find the proof. Yield yourself to the one. I don't know what that means. And go together. I shall give you the family treasure. The sword of the seven stars. Think of the sword as a part of me. And keep it with you. I shall always watch over you. Sounds like he, he's uh, dead a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what was your thoughts on... Well, he also... If you go in the cave, there's a giant dragon and phoenix mirror on the stone walls. So what do you think about this? I, a lot of people, this is like the, like it's starting to get 
to be like magic. I think that's a lot of people talk mm-hmm. about when they when they talk about this scene. But I feel like they already kind of hinted at it in the first game when you had a dream of Shinwa and Shinwa dreamed of you or at least knew the dream was happening. Right. And in a lot of these yeah, yeah. fiction and books, dreams mean a lot like Game of Thrones, uh, The Stand with Stephen King, um the all these characters have dreams of each other and they and they, it's like that we have telepathic thoughts about each other during in dreams is kind of like the idea behind it do you think that this is kind of right. st- stuff they've been hinting at yeah i mean i always felt like there was some sort of magic involved in the games uh as early as when you had that that leaf that was an old leaf but it still felt like it was fresh and alive mm. um and and wasn't there a hint to like a fountain of youth or something like that i i think um, so i think so yeah yeah, so there, there was, there was all this mystery of these, these secrets and these uh, importance given to all these items that must lead to something magical. I mean, it's a video game; it's not real life, so they can do whatever they want. And it, um, yeah, <laughs> so. I, I think it's interesting that they made like the grounded in reality section so well done that when people saw this, they're like, "What the fuck are you guys doing? Like, are you guys literally going to have a sword now?" and Magic, like I remember people saying that you're going to be able to do Hadoukits in the third game. People on forums, obviously, people thinking, "Oh, Shenmue Online, you could." Yes, I was. I didn't want to talk too much about Shenmue Online because I think it was canceled and never came out. But there's so many footage and like notes and drama behind that game. How it was supposed to finish the story that I think would be interesting <sighs> as a mini episode in the future because I think we could talk about Shenmue For sure. forever. Um, I will say though that in this game there is no definitely no Hadoukits, um, I wish. Um but I do think they're they're building to that. I think it's the idea was like, you know, in Final Fantasy you kind of already have all these magic and potions. I think he wanted to do like right. you discover this world as a normal kid in Japan and that's part of the like uh I guess wonderment of the game. Um I'm gonna play a little bit of Daniel's clip for his he his Shinwa. What he thinks about her. Wow. What an iconic, huge, special moment for the series. That really... I did not see that coming. Honestly, when I first played this game, I didn't know she was going to be at the end of the game. I was so happy to finally see I'm like, it's the girl. Like, it's her. She's finally here. And it was just so cool seeing Rio and her meet. I have no idea what kind of relationship they're going to have in the future. But I think she has some kind of, like, mystical powers. But I feel like she has a big role that we just don't see yet. We, we know what we do. They, they're hinting at it very, very well. She can talk to animals. Even Ren kind of... Ren sensed something about her when, she first meets, when he first meets her in Shinmu 3. There's like these like little things they're like hinting at with her. I love that when Ryo's doing Tai Chi at nightfall by the tree when they're camping out. That was such a great moment. I loved walking with Shenhua at the end of the game because it was just so special with the music and with, with the graphics and scenery. I pulled an all-nighter in that scene <laughs> when I first played Shenmue 3 back in, or two, back in 2015. Yeah, I ended right there. But, uh, yeah, I actually, I beat, when I beat that chapter, I actually beat it late at night, and I actually just finished the game. I, was, I, I just wanted to see what would happen. I was actually a little more disappointed that it was just walking and talking, but now I appreciate that chapter more because I think it's pretty brave of them not to just add random action scenes in here. And just let you basically enjoy the forest, the calmness of being in this like secluded area. I thought they did that really well. Even even if as a kid I hated it. Absolutely. Yeah, they did that yeah. really well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the gameplay of this game. I'm not going to go into it. We 
we kind of know what the game's about, right? We've uh, we've uh, basically played the first one. We know how he moves. I don't think we... so. Two basically is the same as one. It's an expansion of it, but there was a lot of stuff they fixed that com- people complained about back in the day. So let's talk about that. Well, the action in Shimu Two uh, increased quite a bit. Shimu Two also features a lot of QTEs and actual free battles. That we talked about that a little bit before. In uh, in Shimu One, um, players would have to wait for events. So if you were supposed to meet someone at uh, nine p.m. and it was the morning, you actually had to wait for nine p.m. to uh, to actually meet them. But this time, now you could fast forward time. Unlike the first game, a job isn't required for money since they have they have stuff like wrestling, uh, street fighting, and pachinko stands. Shimmy 2 also allows you to ask people for directions, and they will walk you to the building you're supposed to go in contrast from number one, which is more about exploring. Um, what was your opinion on, on the walking? Because, like, I remember, like, uh, being a kid and, like, uh, oh, yeah, I have to walk across town. I'm going to leave my controller down. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And just let the engine, I would do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone did that. I, at that point, they might as well just like load you there. You know, like now we have quick travel. Back then, we didn't. So like they thought, right? Well, people have to walk you there. Obviously, that's how it works in real life. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. Um, Shimu Two also has a new question system, allowing the player to choose from different questions to ask NPCs. This is something that kind of defined Western RPGs after this, like uh, Mass Effect and The Witcher. Um, one of Shimu One's charm is exploring and finding secrets. At certain t- uh, days, you would unlock certain secret cutscenes, uh, which was mostly done away with in Shimu Two. Not that there isn't some, but definitely not as much mm. of the exploration bits as the first game. Um, what do you think about that? Did, did you actually like ever look up all the like secret cutscenes and try to like get them in the game? I, I did learn about them. I thought it was really cool how many little secrets there were, like the, the bitchy girls. Um, <laughs> but then again, there was some pretty wild uh, duck racing, correct? In, yeah. In uh, Shenmue too. Yeah. So, you know, it, there was trade-offs. There were some pretty wacky... There's a hidden fight, too, Yeah. I think, with a really wild-looking fighter. Um, so there, there were still secrets, but not nearly as intricate. For sure. I, I do think that it's kind of weird. Like the your house in the first game is probably the most detailed area of everything. Like you could like look at everything. That was the one. I think mm-hmm. that's what blew a lot of people's minds. But I do agree. Like, but also in the first game you had a lot of friends. So like the idea of you like meeting people made sense because you lived in this life. And in this one it's like you're uh, right. uh, new. Yeah. Um, Shimmy Two is known for better pacing. Uh, more events happen than either Shimu 2 or 3 in this game. Or 1 and 3. So this game has more story than like every Yakuza, I mean, Shimu game so far. But it has a less interactive uh, uh, virtual world as the first game. You know, like I said, Ryu's house was the most detailed. Um, Shimu 2 Dreamcast lets you import your saves from Shimu 1, including items, money, capsule toys, move scrolls, time differences... So, like, if you left at a certain time in the first game, you would arrive in, like, a similar time that it would actually take to travel to Hong Kong. Just based on the time that you finished the game. That's, I thought it was pretty interesting. Mm. Really, attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shimu, what was your opinion on the whole, like, save thing? Like, that you, you could... Your, 
everything carries over. Was that a big deal to you? I thought that was really cool. Um, that it made the whole backpack stealing thing even more impactful because you lost access to all of your items. And I mean, spoiler alert: when you get your backpack back, the money's gone, which really sucks if you were building up a lot of money in the first game. Um, but I did read a like before I played the game, I was reading some like tips and tricks, and one of the tips was um, before. When you get off the boat, immediately spend all your money on the shops um, and and buy lighters. And so I bought a bunch of Zippo lighters. I, like, sold them out. Um, and then when my backpack gets stolen, I only had, like, five bucks in it. So when Rio gets his backpack back, he's like, where's all my money? <laughs> it's like, well, Rio, you didn't have any. You spent it all. Um, but you got all the lighters back, and then you resell the lighters, and you get a bulk of your money back. I mean, you get maybe half of it, but it's still a lot, you know? Yeah. So... Little trick. Um, that is a good trick. FAQ. You're basically uh, laundering yeah. money, basically in Shimmy because they steal it from <laughs> Pretty you. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I will say, um, oh, Shimmy Two also features classic uh, Sega AM2 arcade cabinets. The first one had Hang On and Space Harrier. This one has those two plus Afterburner and Outrun. Uh, we also have Excite, Excite QTE Two, Neo, uh, Neo Darts, slot machines, and etc. Um, I know a lot of people don't play these games for like the classic games. I don't think anyone like not like Yakuza where people always talk about the mini games. I think this one it was obviously the graphics, the adventure, the virtual world, how massive it was. The you know the quality of the game. A lot of people kind of slept on the idea that you could literally play Outrun Absolutely. in this game. That's an excellent game, and it was like, I mean, it was what. 10, 12 years old at the time here. Now it's like 30-something years old. So it wasn't like, right. you know, it's like having a game that came out literally in 2008. Like, oh, Alien, Alien Isolation's playable in uh, the new game that's coming out or whatever. Basically, you know. <laughs> so I well, thought that, that was interesting. The Yakuza games and Judgment games are kind of keeping that alive too. Like to the point where it's almost like, ooh, what, what port are they going to give us this time? You know? Oh, Definitely, I think a lot of people like they're even doing like 3D stuff in the new ones, and it's funny because Yakuza, Yakuza didn't really start off like that. Like it's weird because uh, they started off as a like uh, they had like a made-up game on the first one for the PS2. They never had arcade games, so it took them a while to get to it. But Shimu Day One already had it. That's says a lot about the quality of the, what they were doing back then. <clears throat> Let's talk about the music. One of the most iconic parts of the first two games, even if you hate the game, is the soundtrack. Unsurprisingly, the game right. basically had almost every Sega composer working on the game. Um, starting to name it, naming them, we'll, just, we'll be here all day. Shimu 2 had 12 different composers. The two of the most well-known being um, Michiyoshi and Koshiro, who did Daytona USA mm -hmm. and Streets of Rage soundtracks. Shimu Game Soundtracks is very well known for mixing genres of music from epic tunes to jazzy bar music. Uh, there's lots of great tracks and variety, and in my opinion, the music in these games are some of the best ever made for any game and should stand right next to popular soundtracks like Halo, The Witcher 3, and even the Doom soundtrack. Mm. Even though Shimu 2's soundtrack is great, we all agree, 
it seemed that back then uh, there was like no actual CD release. So when I actually wanted to see, I I know you're gonna I know what you're gonna pull out because I have it right here, Bubba. You're gonna be talking about Shimu One and Two. Well, first let's talk about the data disc release they did. Uh, this data disc release uh, is, I think, the first actual physical. I oh man, I put the first one on here, but they have the other record for two. I like how I just when I turned it on, it was the first one. Um, right. Yeah, they they basically did two. Uh, data disc. If you guys want to check it out, data. Uh, what is that minus score or that minus sign disc with a C dot com? Mm-hmm. They sell the vinyl for uh, to what two twenty one euros or I don't know. Is pounds. it still in stock? Both of them? Uh, yeah, they are. They're in stock right now. The the see through green and I think the black. Yeah. Um, Do they come in the slip cover? No, you have to buy the slip. Or is that sold out? You have to buy the slip cover separately, and I don't know if they have it. I actually own the slip cover with it, but I can't show it to you because of the green screen on the thing. But mm. it, it's it's really nice. I think DataDisc did a good job with these. This is only select the selection of mu- of uh, of music, right? Um, I don't know what what is your thoughts on the idea that like they didn't even release a physical version, dude? It's I'm way over here. Oh, got you. Uh, but it's you sound fine. It's um, it's weird. Like for a game that's this big, like you'd have to wait years, like, <laughs> decades, sh- in order to get like a proper official release. And I've got the the data discs um, slipcover one here. So yeah, you got Shenmue One. And I mean, obviously, for a, such a massive soundtrack, these are in no way complete. No, you know? no, that's. Um, I don't think we ever got a physical complete one. We did. I mean, for Shenmue Three, they've been te- releasing all of those. Like, there's an insane amount of ways that you can get the Shenmue Three soundtrack. Not there's two. the complete. Exactly, and it's funny because. Um, for as, as all the versions that are out there, I just opted for the basic Shenmue 3 vinyl just so it could go with the 1 and 2. Um, but even this 3 recycles a lot of songs that were found in 1 and 2 as well as unused tracks. They like made so much music that I, I don't really fault them for... Ne- you know, you don't need to start from scratch with Shenmue 3 since <laughs> you spent so much time and money and energy making music for the first two games and you didn't even use it all. So, yeah, very interesting. The, uh, the other way to get the soundtrack is through the uh, Shimmy 1 and 2 Collector's Edition in Japan. It came in a white box. Mm-hmm. I actually own this one, too. I know you do, too. It's a limited edition. It actually comes with the soundtrack for 1 and 2, but also... 40 songs it comes in a double CD but the, yeah it's the same thing you know it's only select tracks which is a big issue right. for this franchise that like they don't have a like they have a complete Shimu 3 collection but not 1 and 2 like the soundtrack like I would buy a box set with everything on it at this point like a CD box set even 3 cause the, no, no, the 3 one box two. set costs no, an insane no. amount of no, money no I'm good I'm good I don't want to I, I didn't, I'm not I want 1 and 2 those are the nostalgic ones for me but yeah here's the CD soundtrack for those wondering if you're watching on video DVD uh, it came DVDs. in the the collector's box it's in like a DVD sized case which is actually pretty common in Japan to get soundtracks on DVD sized cases probably nice though um, because they don't break is, 
Yeah, really, really nicely made. And then the the game itself looks almost exactly the same as the American one, but mm. the the box that it comes in is just epic. I love it. That's, I think it looks awesome. That's some of the nicest artwork for a game. I think we talked about how it might have yeah. been you, but I might be wrong on that. The uh, renders, but I might not be. It it looks like they're not, but a lot of them have not been seen in this quality. Like Ren's crossed arms there. I've never seen that much of his body. Yeah. You know, it it looks cool though. Yeah, definitely must buy. Let's talk about the Xbox release of the game. Um, while Shimu was released in Japan in two thousand one, US use US players had to wait all the way till two thousand two to play the game on Xbox. While Shimmy 2 did release in, on Dreamcast in the UK, like we talked about, it was released with Japanese spoken language with subtitles. Uh, the year the year to wait on for Xbox not only gave Shimmy One owners uh, the game in the US in the US, but it also gave us a full English dub with Corey Marshall reprising his role, role as Ryu, and he he's kind of lived up to the image. Like he's still like uses he still has the fan base behind him he still talks about the game to this day and his role as ryu uh what was your point what do you think about all that his him and still embracing it i think it's cool i think it's very rare to see a voice actor embrace a character like that despite the fact that the games have been on hiatus for so long a lot of times it's like you know they they do a few games and then they you know they're done. Like the the the, vo- the original voice of Bubsy wasn't like, oh, I'm coming back for those new games that just came out. That's like he true. was one and done for sure. Brian Silva, but but with this with um, with him, yeah, he, and he's super engaged with the fan base, which is cool. Um, uh, yeah, you know, and his voice is is iconic. It is the Rio voice um, in English. You know, we've never really seen that with with any other characters maybe outside of you know within Sega maybe outside of Sonic um, who we still have people who are like no the the guy who did Sonic Adventure he's the one he's my Sonic you know uh, and it's like well he only did three games you know two or three games it was funny when they brought like um, I mean this is not this game it's a Sega game but Yakuza the, like a dragon when they brought back the yeah. English voice actor for it was funny though because he was the worst voice actor in the whole game. Like it, it was, it's like they Atlas and Sega had gotten so good at dubbing their games that they hire like such good voice actors that like having somebody from back two thousand five that was their leading guy. It's like oh, this guy's the worst mm-hmm. actor in the whole game. Even like the side characters are better, you know, voiced. But I thought it was, right. I thought it was a funny little like, because I played the first game as a, you know when it first came out. So to me, it's like a nostalgic feeling having that bad voice back, you know. Um, yeah, right. So Yuzuzuki did interviews promoting the Xbox version of the game, suggesting that it would take full advantage of the of the Xbox hardware and it would push the Xbox hardware to its limit. Uh, the actual game was basically an enhanced port, uh, thanks to the enhanced hardware that the Xbox had, including. And some of this stuff people hated, like the bloom, blooming lights at night. People didn't like that on Xbox. But there was also better looking waters, more shadows for the draw, draw distance, and less jaggies. I think the jaggy problem was probably the biggest uh, improvement. Uh, I have some pictures here that mm-hmm. you guys could see. Um, this is the, the Dreamcast one. If you're watching our video, it's just showing buildings. I got this from Hardcore Gaming 101. Great site. So 
they have the comparison pic these comparison pictures that we're seeing. As you can see that right here, the Dreamcast version has a lot of jaggies. If you look really far in the buildings, there's less shadows on them. Like they display less shadows. And if you look at the on the Xbox, the shadows are more defined, even further. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously because the Xbox hardware is ridiculously better. Uh, it's no comparison. I don't think any fan would say the Dreamcast could have beat the uh, the Xbox. But there is some stuff that I look at and I'm like. It's weird how the floor looks better on the Dreamcast, just more detailed. Probably because of the VGA, you know? Gives it that extra right. detail. Yeah. So, you know, and I do think that the Dreamcast has the best uh, video quality out of the console. That's about it. I mean, it doesn't run better than Xbox games. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, haven't pl I, I do think that the Xbox looks clear enough, you know? It's like the PS2 is the worst one, but yeah. Load times were also reduced... It had uh, 4.1 surround sound added to cutscenes. Frame rate was now consistently 30 frames per second with less characters disappearing when they walked by you. D the DVD shrunk the 4GD-ROM disc into one DVD and the Xbox included the award-winning oh, Shimmy yes. the Movie. <laughs> For players that didn't play the, the first game, just, just pop in the movie, watch it with the family. It's an epic... I remember when yeah. we watched it together and I was like, man, this shit's boring as fuck. I can't believe the people really <laughs> thought they could watch. Like, it was just edited badly, it's, too. Wasn't it's it? It's very strange. It's a edited-down version of Shenmue, but they transferred it to film and actually showed it in theaters for a brief period of time. Oh, yeah. And then they transferred it back to DVD, but they used a film print. So you're looking at Dreamcast footage... That was put onto film and then transferred to DVD, which is wild to me. And then the cover shows like a mock box art, but mm. this has never existed in America as actual box art of the movie. It just, it's amazing. I think it's I, so bizarre. I think I might have a picture of the premiere. Oh, I, oh no, I think I took it down. Mm. Oh, yeah, here it is. Oh no, I don't think this is it. But I used to have a picture in one of my folders where, like, uh, they basically showed you that they had like a big Hollywood event in Japan for the movie. They all like went and sat down and watched it. And I, when we watched it on one of our videos, that's probably on our you know YouTube channel. I was it was just so weird how badly edited it was. I was like, wow, a professional person edited this. Then Yuzuzuki brought everyone from the crew over to watch it in the cinema and no one said, yeah, we got to re-edit this. That's crazy. Right, yeah. And if you guys listening to this or watching this want to see it yourself, it's uh, if you search Sega Cinema Shenmue the Movie on YouTube or on our website, segabits.com, it's uh, the entire movie with our commentary from back in 2013 Whoa. Uh, talking over it with um, Bartman from uh, Sonic Retro. Very weird moment. Oh, yeah. In Sega history. Very weird. The game also had a picture mode, uh, which lets you have snapshots and save it onto the Xbox hard drive, and also included filters like black and white and like other colors. Which uh, it's funny because like picture modes are now like in every game. Almost every AAA game has its own picture mode or photo mode. So I just think it's funny that like Yuzuzuki thought of this like to add this as on the Xbox port because you know it's easier to do. I'm assuming he had this idea for the Dreamcast, but was like, can you imagine the VMU space you would have to take to take pictures? Yeah, it'd be a little, yeah. it'd be crazy. But uh, 
They did that. They even had Instagram filters before Instagram. So, I mean, Facebook, pay it up. Yuzuzuki invented filters. It's making all the girls look good, and they're not getting a penny. Anyway, let's talk about game covers. You're a graphic designer, Barry. What do you I think so. about... I mean, technically, technically. Um, what, On paper. <laughs> What do you think about the Xbox cover versus the Dreamcast cover? Um, I, they're both pretty different, and I, I have my own feelings about each one. But what do you think about them? Um, I, I mean, I most definitely prefer the Dreamcast cover. I think it's much more in line with the original game. Oh yeah, that's for um, sure. I've though I've never been a fan of the European Dreamcast box art because I don't like this big box at the top. Uh, and it's like, oh, well, maybe when I take the disc out, it will show. But no, the like they still retain that giant blue Dreamcast. It's ugly. Still, it looks nice. Um, I don't like the Xbox cover at all. I think it's ugly. Why? Uh, What's I so ugly poorly, about it? It's poorly drawn. The characters don't look like themselves. Like it's just definitely overall like super ugly. You know, it kind of reminds me of those like. Um, I have like it has. It reminds me of those like kung fu movie posters that you would see, where it's like they're all drawing like kind of like um, Enter the Dragon. It's not as well done, obviously, but I could see the vibe they're right. trying to go for. They're trying to make it feel like a cinematic kung fu movie. They have the fighting Landy, the bad guy with the shadowy uh, reflection. I can see what they're doing. I do agree that the drawings are not the best. They like doesn't even look like the art style. What's up with Ryu's face, like? That's kind of weird. Like, his face looks not like him. But, yeah, besides that, I, I, I understand what they were going for, and I like that, in a way, like a movie poster. But this one does align more with the original, so I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted on those, but... Is that Rio in the corner, bottom right, like over the Sega logo? Who is that? <laughs> it's supposed to be him as a kid, dude, and that's supposed to be... Uh... His the master we meet in this game, obviously an old man, like I told you, like the kung fu movie. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I don't, maybe it's the, I don't know what it's supposed to be. Actually, I never even thought of that. I just assumed that it was supposed to be like a, hey, he, this kid trained as a martial artist. Is that him? I'm looking. I guess that is him, but he's on the far right or far left too. Like Rio's on the cover three times, four times. Is that because the little DVD down below oh, showing cool. the movie? I, they could added him in. They could have added him in a couple more times. You know, is that a and big he's no, on the no back. graphic design? Oh my god, he's on the back one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Is that a big no-no in five, graphic six, design? Seven, like if I do a eight, poster, nine, I, ten. I shouldn't put a Daredevil fifteen times on the cover. There are eleven Rio Hazukis on the front and back. <laughs> Imagine if they did a multiverse like uh, Far From Home. Um, but <laughs> far from Japan. Um, <laughs> there was a rumor back then that there was going to be a, P, a PS2 version of the game. I mean, this is from a different language magazine. I did some of the... Um, this was posted. I just saw it on the Sega Retro. There was no notes. It just said PS2 Dreamcast scan. I mean, uh, Shimu 2 PS2 scan. That's all it said. And I was like, what? So I looked at it. And I guess it's from a Russian or some other language. Maybe uh, Pol- uh, what is it? What are these talking? Uh, what are these speaking? Poland, Polish, Polish. Yeah, <laughs> it's so easy. Um, 
Yeah, um, it doesn't really say anything. It just says something, something that like the game is coming out from outside Dreamcast. Maybe they were thinking about it. Maybe at, at one point to put it on PS2, but like, first of all, it's using uh, Shimu One instead. Of, it says Shimu Two, but the the pictures are from the first game. So it's like I don't mm. think they were really going to do this. And plus, sh- PS2 can't run this game. Get out of here. Have you ever seen a game this detailed on the PS2? I'm sorry. There's stuff that PS2 is good at, but like, I think this game was taking advantage of what the Dreamcast was good at, and some stuff that the Dreamcast was good at, the PS2 was not good at, and the Xbox was just good at right. everything. So it was like, okay, cool, Xbox, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Would you think you think they should have done a PS2 uh, version of the game, of 1 and 2 maybe? I, I mean, it would have been a, a fine idea, but by that point, it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like it's such a disjointed trilogy oh, already yeah. that to, I, I don't know. I, I think it was a mistake, though, to not bring one and two over to Xbox. I think they should have done that if they were going to make it exclusive, because it just seems so weird to be like, hey, Xbox owner, did you own a Dreamcast and play Shenmue? Because here's the sequel. Oh, you didn't play the first one? There's a DVD included, <laughs> and you watch the DVD, and you're like, I don't want to play the second one. This, How long was it? This is weird. How long was the movie? Like an hour, right? I, I want to say it was an hour. Hour and a half. Yeah, it was the longest hour and a half. And, and uh, dude, literally, like, I don't know. I feel like if I really sat down, I could edit it together a better movie than that. Like, <laughs> it's just so bad. I can't get over how bad the editing was in that thing. Insane. Um. We're getting close to the end of the episode. This part is where we talk about advertisement. We kind of there's some really good advertisements for this game. I think you're gonna laugh at the video ones from Japan. But first, let's talk about this. This um, I don't know. We even know what to call it. It looked like it was a drink. Is Shimmy Two US ad for the the? I mean, Shimmy Two never came out on Dreamcast in the US, but there was an ad for it, right? The one that, that he's like kicking the, the the screen and it says this time it's personal. It's like really iconic. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. This is a really iconic ad. Um, people are selling this as a poster like a lot. So obviously it's cut out right here as you could tell because someone's trying to sell it. Couldn't find the scan That's of it. Um, but uh, this is a really iconic poster. I I just don't understand like. Did, was this given to? I, I'm assuming this this was given to stores, but people are saying it's a from a magazine. Do you remember seeing this in an actual magazine? Because I thought I saw it in like GameStop or something like that. I feel like I've seen this in a magazine. Mm. Um, hard to say. It does look like a poster, but it could have been cut out really cleanly. There, yeah. Um, I think it's weird though that he'd have like Shenmue Two on his foot. <laughs> the brand of shoes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. And did he even wear boots? Like, he wore, like, tennis shoes, so now he's wearing, like, work boots. And the kick is very awkward, so you could tell, like, he they took assets from Sega AM2, and the graphic designer had kind of a field day with the perspective and stuff of it. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, very odd. Yeah, what what do you think about this ad? Like, you, does this get you pumped to watch this, to play the second one? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> now we get to see what the actual ad on Xbox was, which is I think is more of a traditional ad. Uh, I the green border. I don't even know if it's actually green. I don't know if it's just because the guy that scanned it added the green border. But besides the green border, that really makes it go you know pop. Uh, it's just a mm-hmm. typical like 
the renders are on top, the screenshots in the bottom, no tagline that I could see. Maybe there is a little tagline. I can't see it from here. But uh, what was your thoughts on this one? It just feels kind of plain compared to, like, you know, the other ones that they did. Let's see. I'm bringing it up here. Yeah. 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 That's boring. Yeah. I don't know. Not doing it for me. I feel like even the 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 one we saw with the the girl, this is her trigger finger is not her best or whatever, or her trigger finger is not her best whatever. You know, the gun Valkyrie one was even more iconic. And, right? Yeah, and yeah. And it yeah. was double paged, so it's like what? Okay, cool. One page. It kind of looks like the one and two like elements are there, but the layout's different. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird ad. So. <clears throat> this is actually a really weird ad that we're going to be looking at right now. I think it's actually kind of funny because you I don't even want to ruin it for you because I want to see what you think about it. Let me uh, put it up over here. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, put it on for the, the video over here. I'm trying to set it up. All right. I'll play it now. So the meat guy, right? He pulls out a, a gun, dude. Oh my god, I didn't even play it over here in this side. Sorry, my bad. I didn't even it. But basically, Ryu is going into a meat shop. This guy's cutting the meat, and then he opens fire on him with a machine gun. Why? Like, That's not even Ryu. It's like a, a guy. It's supposed to play him, right? Also, what? A, what? And then in the end, they're like advertising... Uh, uh, Virtual Fighter 4. I feel like they advertise Virtual Fighter 4 in Japan more than 2. It's like, buy Shimu 2, you get Virtual Fighter 4 demo or something like that. It's like, what? Or you... Right, right, right. So it's like, okay, whatever. And then, <laughs> So this is a motif with the real-life commercials. They did two of them. Here's another one. Yeah, yeah. Let me, pl- let me put it on. Uh, let me... All right. So now it's the girl that you sex up, but like, what, what happens? She has a gun, dude! Everybody has a gun in China. Why do they all have guns? Was there even a gun in, in, in the games? Ever? I don't think so. I don't think there are any I don't guns think, in Shenmue. I don't think I even saw one model of a gun. I do remember my friend asking me, like, why don't they just shoot the guy? And I'm like, you know what? When I played the game, I never even thought about somebody could shoot him. Like I, I just played the game as a kung fu game. I never watched like, I never, I, I never, uh, I never play um, like or watch Jackie Chan movies and go, why don't they just shoot him in the head? And it's like, well, I just watch it because the action scenes are cool. I don't know, but yeah, um, this is another one. Have you noticed they use a Sega AM2 Presents logo in the front? And it, and it reminds me of the uh, Rio Gaga Gota, whatever, how they use the RGG logo now in their trailers. Right, yeah. right, right. But yeah, here's this one. This is just the characters real quick. Um, this is another one they showed. This is probably better because it actually sells you the game. This one's condensed basically to a, a 15 second, but... Obviously, the advertisement budget for two versus one is like night and day, right? Because like wow. you remember, yeah. Shimmy One in America, they were on in the front of TV Guide, the first video game to be in front in the cover of uh, TV Guide. So yeah. this is totally different. And w- do you think that 
those real life advertisements actually work having the gun like to me it's like what is that i don't understand what they're, they're trying to show you that there's danger yeah i'm not a fan i don't like it they do a lot of those in japan apparently but um so let's talk a little bit about the legacy of the franchise so we could close up the episode um uh, Shimu has kept up a cult and very loud fan base online since the release of Shimu 2, mostly demanding re-releases of games and Shimu 3, obviously. Um, we will be get, talking about Shimu 3 in another episode, uh, but uh, before we talk about 1 and 2 re-releases, uh, what is your, you wanted to talk about the Shimu fan base a little bit before we get into it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I... They are a very passionate fan base. They are a very um, forgiving fan base. Uh, <laughs> they are a very protective fan base. Very and protective. they are a fan base that I feel like I should be a part of, but I'm not. And it feels very strange to say that. Um, I don't know if, if you feel this way, but I... I I don't know. I don't feel like the Shenmue fan base has ever been extremely accepting. Mm. Um, I think... Oh, I, I, oh, I I would say because as someone who's like a general Sega fan who likes Sega, who likes Sega games, um, and maybe it's because of my, my position with Sega bits too, but like I, I would talk about the game and I would and talk about the future and there would be so much animosity towards Sega... To the point where it would be like, oh, I would have so many people go against me and be like, oh, you're a Sega apologist. You're you're defending them. They're keeping us from having our third game. They did Yu Suzuki wrong. Maybe this is just my experience, but it, I'll honestly say I have not had extremely positive uh, uh, interactions with the Shenmue fan base. Outside of maybe the forums at Shenmue Dojo, I think they're very cool. Yeah. Um, I honestly think it comes from uh, maybe a, a vocal minority who runs a lot of like uh, like petitions and campaigns on social media, making themselves sound bigger than they actually are. Uh, Shenmue 500K comes to mind. When I don't know what the five hundred thousand is coming from because they definitely don't have that many people, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I don't I I totally understand the the love because the first two games are absolutely fantastic. Um, and I guess where it kind of falls apart for me is the fact that Shenmue three came out and and again we'll get to it. I'm not going to tear the game apart when we talk about it, but it definitely falls short in my opinion, and I'm actually surprised that so many fans were not more negative towards it, letting Yu Suzuki know that the game needs a lot more work if you're going to make a fourth game. Mm -hmm. And instead they're like, give us four! And I'm like, a lot of people haven't even played three, which is a problem because you need to sell copies of three to get a fourth game. Yeah. (laughs) So... Um, What's your take? Because I, I don't want to. Again, I don't want to be the negative guy. I'm a huge Shenmue fan. It's like I said. Like I, I, it was my first import. I played this game a year before most people. I absolutely love it. I have tons of Shenmue crap in my house, 
But even then, I don't feel like a part of the fan base, and I don't know why. I, I would agree with you on the Shimu Dojo. I think some of my best times, like, after the game came, like, years after, you know, like, maybe 2005. I don't know. what I, I can't even think. But, like, a lot of my time was spent talking about the theories of what could happen. That was my favorite part of two, was talking about the theories. Like, is there going to be powers? What does the sword mean? What is, uh, what's the future? Did Landy kill his father? Is the whole cycle of revenge. Right. Um and they, they talked about it a lot in the forums, and uh, Shimu Dojo was one of the ones that like would dig super deep into it, and they would like make their own theories up that became like almost Game of Thrones like theories, where it's like you look like Charlie from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia connecting the dots. Um, that was really fun. Um, I will say that the other fan base, I feel like I do agree with you. Some of them are toxic, especially when like. You, I started to get into uh, Yakuza, and uh, Yakuza wasn't popular in America yet. Um, it was a lot of mm. years where, like, I was basically begging on Twitter, like, guys, please buy uh, Yakuza 2 on PS2. And I swear it's a good game. It's, it looks like crap compared to Shimu 1 and 2. Get this shit out of here. Give Yuzuzuki <laughs> the money. And it's like, oh, my God, dude. It's like I get that Sega abandoned that project, but it's like, why do why can I not like something else? Why can I not like Yakuza? Like that was my exactly. that was my yeah that was a big yeah thing. that was my thing with it. And now that Yakuza has been more popular, I think they've all a lot of them have jumped on board and also like it too. So it's interesting. But it was kind of hard in the beginning. Every time on Twitter, people telling you to that I was the bad guy because I liked a game that was in Shimu from Sega, basically. Right. There was a big, if you're not with us, you're against us sort of mentality where it's like, wow, I see you haven't uh, liked my Twitter account called Give Us Shenmue 3 Right Now Sega. It seems like you're not a true fan. I guess not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so we can yeah. finally talk about the remake. Uh, Sega re- uh, released okay. Shenmue 1 and 2 collection ported by D32T to PC, PS4 and Xbox One in 2018. While the game launched with bugs, uh, the new features in the collection are hard to not want to play this version of the game. Shimmy 2, for example, mm. is actually ported from the Xbox version of the game in this collection. Also, saves now carry over from 1 and 2, since, you know, in America, we never had the Dreamcast 1 officially. Uh, right. The games feature both English and Japanese dubs, uh, or so very... I think that's probably the biggest selling point right there, the fact that you could just switch between them in one release. Uh, while fans mm-hmm. were expecting 60 frames per second, uh, the the game runs at a solid 30 frames per second because due to the limitations of the engine that were created by Sega AM2, uh, the thing that makes Shimu 1 and 2 more tempting is the new features, including saving anywhere, uh, updated uh, modern control schemes that it's optional, which is cool that they made it optional and didn't force you to it. Um, this basically the D-pad and the, the analog stick, you know how it is. Um, updated UI, HD rendering that supports up to 4K on PC, widescreen support for uh, uh, widescreen support for uh, what is it? Cutscenes? Oh no, not cutscenes, but gameplay. Mm-hmm. Cutscenes are four by three still. Mm-hmm. Sorry. New optional post-processing effects for both games. And lastly, full achievements. If you want to like achievements, if you want to like brag that you beat these games, you could do that now on your profiles. So, uh, what is your like? You played the game when it first came out, and I, you had kind of like strong negative reactions. Like it should have been delayed at least a little bit, which is kind of rare for you to yeah. say that because like 
you'll be okay with a few bugs and go like, you know, it, it happens, whatever. But something had to happen here where you're like, what the fuck? What is this? Yeah, um, my issue with it was this, that it released with far too many bugs to the point where they were relying on third-party people on social media to basically talk to Sega and then relay that information. I think it was Adam Korolik, um, who you would have to go to him and be like, Adam, does the game, what are the fixes? What did Sega tell you? Which is absolutely bonkers that us, a Sega fan site, do not have a direct connection to Sega to PR people to get this information. Instead, we have to reach out to another Sega, I guess, YouTuber. Yeah. Um, it's a mess and then, over there. and then the fact that Sega spent a amount of their marketing budget having him, and I think a comedian... No, that was different. Having him be the one to promote the game and like do the ads for it, I thought that was very strange. I think they were talking... They were mentioning him more than Yu Suzuki. I think Yu Suzuki's name was like almost removed from... The packaging for sure. The packaging for sure the marketing it was just very bizarre like to put someone completely unconnected from the game basically front and center in the in the PR and promotion and i i know full well that he took that negatively when i was saying that he took it as an attack on him and like it's not an attack on definitely him not. like I, I have no i have no problem with him it's more my issue with sega uh europe specifically who was overseeing the um port and just how poor a job they honestly were doing in promoting this game. Um, I really, what I think they should have done is released a series of videos putting it in a historic context, explaining who Yu Suzuki was, do another video, talk about the gameplay, do another video, talk about the story, and that's it. Like, you don't need to... And then also have PR people that are actually talking to the community and conveying what are in... What what fixes are in the game? What the patches are going to be like? It, and thankfully, we've reached a point now where we're not talking anymore about what patches are. Like the game is in a great state. I think mm-hmm. it just took way too long. And I know Sonic Colors Ultimate was something that released, and I was much more forgiving. But I think we reached a point with that game pretty quickly that it got it got patched, and we're not complaining about it anymore. But man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think yeah. he should be. I don't know if he even like. I hope Adam got paid for those uh, ads and all the work he did because like it shouldn't be on him to promote this game. To be honest with you, he's a fan. I'm I'm happy that he made content for it, and I'm glad that he enjoyed making the content for it because he loves he loves the game. A lot of people in our Discord love his content. I just think it's. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. It's like you're you're explaining like basic PR and community management stuff. I don't know. I guess they don't know how to do that. I think it's a little hard for some people. I guess. Um, right, right, right. Like if Sega came to us and says, "Hey guys, uh, port of a, a beloved game's coming out. Do you want to be the sole person to promote it?" I'd go, "Absolutely not. Can you please do it? Because <laughs> we don't want that on our shoulders." Yeah, we can work <laughs> together and make content. But besides that, I don't want to be the one that has to like tell people the bug f- fixes and, pl- and I'm the support guy. I'm good, dude. You're not paying me any- <laughs> enough for that. Um, so even though this version has a lot of, you know positive things uh there's also a little bit of stuff that people kind of you know curious don't like like uh the uh minor items that like had photos of real people have uh been changed to stock uh they, they used to be stock photos they didn't get 
I guess, the license again. So now it's just NPC photos on items like, I guess, food and stuff. Uh, changes to capsule toys. Uh, I think it's, like, very minor. I think the Dreamcast and the Genesis were named after a, a Japanese magazine. Like a create... You know how they make yeah. those little cute, yeah. different versions of them? I've got the... Um, behind me there, it's the uh, Sega Hard Historia yeah. um, collection. And it, it has almost, I think, complete digital archives of all those comics. It's, it's great. So, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> It's from that, so they had to change it to just Genesis Dreamcast. It's not a big, ver- a big deal in my opinion because we don't, we're not nostalgic for the magazine here in America. Uh, br- right. Brands like Timex have been removed now; they're just Sega, I think it was. And phone numbers now don't have last digits because apparently they were real phone numbers. So now for this part of the podcast, we're going to call every number in the shit. No, I'm just joking. In the original. Oh boy. Can- Long distance to Japan. Can you imagine? I thought they were fake, but like, can you imagine being 1999? You're wake, going to your house, and it's like, ding, ding, hello, and it's like, do you know where sailors are at? And it's like, oh god, <laughs> it's oh god, let it make it stop. And actually, that's all my notes. Is there anything you want to add before we uh, call it quits? Um. Well, before I read our Patreon memories. Um, I will say I, I love this game. I love talking about it with people. Um, and I, I do look forward to the future of Shenmue. I think um, Shen, I'm glad Shenmue 3 happened. I'm really looking forward to the anime. And I, I don't mean to be down on the fan base. I think I'm in a unique situation where I'm dealing with fans a lot more than the average person mm. and also it's very easy to like point to you or I and be like you're part of the problem because you're not posting stories every day about how Sega needs to make a Shenmue 3 and like that can wear you down so if I sound like you know I, I, I don't speak for everyone I speak for myself but um, absolutely love this game uh, I don't think there will ever be a Shenmue game as great as this ever again so Wow. Replay it, enjoy it. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think the handcuffs, the whole handcuff thing, was just awesome. It's just such a fun adventure, action adventure sort of uh, Hong Kong action movie. Yeah, moment, and I, I, that alone just I love this game for that. Um, if you support us on Patreon at any level, you get to have your memories read by my beautiful voice. I have a little bit of a stuffy nose at the moment, so you get to hear a little stuff um, if you like that sort of thing. Ben Hayward says, As a kid, and now after getting back into Sega Gaming over the last 5 or 10 years, I've only ever played Master System Game Gear and Mega Drive games. Shenmue and Shenmue 2 came and went in the period in between my gaming as a kid and my gaming as an adult after I started reading Retro Gamer about five years ago, I was struck by just by how much coverage these games had, particularly given I'd never actually heard of them before that, and how much hype there was about them even today. I guess then that my memory of the game is not actually playing it, but being exposed to the excitement of the game that still exists today. For that reason alone, I'm really looking forward to this episode. Uh, Hams, who's my new favorite commenter, um, actually had a lot to say here. Uh, I missed Shenmue 2 for the Dreamcast for reasons I can't remember. Thank heavens it was released on the Xbox. A great game all in all. A lot to explore and characters to meet. The journey to Bailu. K9 
came as a surprise to me because it felt like the game was going to end right after the fight with that big bald guy. I can't remember his name at the moment. That was a great fight. Uh, I still think the first Shenmue is the best in the series, 2 and 3. Miss a certain intimacy of the first game. It's hard to put down exactly what it is. Anyway, the story went on, and I hope it continues further. And then we have Nicholas Schaefer saying, This is a game that definitely is on my bucket list. I didn't have an Xbox, but recently purchased it on Steam as part of my New Year's resolution. I'm letting Twitter decide what content I missed, and I will consume in 2022. And Shenmue 2 won that by a landslide. Looking forward to the deeper appreciation you will give me for this game. And I'll let Daniel Andres give, sell you Shimu 2 as the ending. Thanks for watching. See you guys next time. Bye. Shenmue is more than just a video game you sit down and play. It's an experience. And I will never forget it. In fact, when I'm, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm kind of hoping I'm there playing Shenmue before I go. From beginning to end. Because it's that beautiful to me. And it really did change my life a lot. Uh, only a few pieces of art in my life has done that, but it's more than just a game. And if you've never played it, played it before, unless if you only own Nintendo consoles, there's no excuse. And no, do not jump to two or three. You gotta start from the beginning. It's just that kind of story. You might hate it at first, but for fuck's sake, I'm pretty sure I'm not the first person to say this if you've even looked up the series. Shamu is a game, you basically get out of what you put into it. Okay, it's not a game just, okay, I'm gonna run around, what do I do now? No, it's not like that. You need to explore, take your time, and look around for things you want to do. That's the kind of game it is. Don't be a bitch about it. Sit down, enjoy it, play it, take it in, have patience. This game is beautiful. This series is beautiful. Trust me, trust me. It wouldn't be the same if it was like a comic or a movie or an a nothing against an anime coming out. I think that's awesome. But people are worried that that's going to be the rest of the story. I really hope that's not where it goes. Shenmue's always, always designed and made to be a gaming experience, but it's also a story experience. It's both. It's not just a gaming experience. It's a story experience. If you take away either one of them, separate them, it wouldn't be the same. If Shenmue was just a game, it wouldn't be the same. If it was just a story, it wouldn't be the same. You know, it's like they're like mutated together in a very beautiful flowing way. It's like a beautiful river going down this like perfect stream. That's what it is. It's not like, okay, there's a cutscene now. Let's get back to the game. No, it's not like that. Or, oh man, there's too much gameplay. When's the story event going to happen? It's just a game you got to take your time with. Do have a review, a, a, a review of it. Um, on my channel, Hazuki Warrior 921921, no spaces. Um, is my YouTube channel, and I have like a two-hour movie review of Shenmue 2. So go and watch that if you want to. Obviously, you guys don't have to watch the whole video once if you're interested. Um, no, anyone listening, if you're interested, I have two reviews of Shenmue 1 and Shenmue 2. I'm still playing through Shenmue 3. I know I know fans that there really didn't like it, but I think the game is perfectly fine the way it is. Shenmue 3, you, people from you people who do not like Shenmue 3, for God's sakes, you do know this is the game that we're always gonna have, right? Like, give it a break already. God damn. Like, seriously. We're gonna get Shimu 4, don't worry, but I'm hoping we get like Shimu 1 and 2 redone in Shimu 3's engine. And then we get like the entire like all seven games put into one game. I'm not talking about like I'm not talking about like like a game collection. I mean like if you start a Shimu 1, you keep going on and on and on and on and on throughout all 16 chapters until you're at the end of the game. It's not like hey, here's this menu of Shimu 1, menu of Shimu 2, menu of Shimu 3. It's not like that. It's like it's just one giant game. I would love, 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 love to see that one day. Um, 
pretty it's pretty big and expansive though but some people out there put 50,000 hours in the games and stuff like that so you never know all right guys i'm sorry i know i'm going off and rambling about shimu 3 1 and 2 but when you talk about shimu you can't just talk about one of them right because it's not it's not really that kind of game so yeah i love shimu 2 i loved playing it kind of felt weird playing it on the xbox first and it felt even like it was like kind of like okay i'm finally playing a dreamcast it felt right, but I first played it with the 80-minute burn discs with the compressed audio in English, and I was like, oh, man, I finally got my hands on those 99-minute CD-ROM discs, 100 gigabyte, or was it 100, or like 1 gigabyte, so I can finally play the game with public audio, but I also own Shimmy 1 and 2, both the UK and Japanese version of them, too, so not just the US ones for Dreamcast, so I can play the game however I, I would like to, plus my Dreamcast is modded, so... Makes it all the more easier. In fact, actually, I might play some Shimu 2 right now because I'm talking about it. I'm currently playing it on my Dreamcast again anyway, so why not? I'm talk I talked your ear off. If you all heard that, thank you so much for listening to me talking. Um, God bless you guys. God bless you, Suzuki. God bless Sega. God bless AM2. I'm not super religious or anything. I just, seriously, like, like God bless. Like, honest, honest to God. Because you guys, all the greatest luck and everything. And, you know, you, Suzuki, George Berry, anybody who's actually listening to this, um, thank you. Seriously. And uh, I think I'm done. So, yeah. Long live Shenmue. Long live uh, Yu Suzuki in spirit, at least, because he made something eternal. <clears throat> and um, long live Sega.